The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we have a guest who's already been on the show before. Her name is Julia Barnes, and she is a filmmaker. She made the film Sea of Life a few years ago, and uh, she came on the show in one of the earlier episodes. It's a very good film. If you haven't seen it, it's very eye-opening, and it certainly encouraged me to stop eating seafood. So, Julia, thank you so much for joining us again today. Thank you so much for having me. And you have some wonderful news. So you have a new film. I do. Yeah. Awesome. Very exciting. Yeah. So what's it called? It's called Bright Green Lies. Bright Green Lies. Cool. And what's it all about? It's a film all about the greatest scandal in the environmental movement right now. And the fact that a lot of the things that are being promoted as solutions to our environmental problems are really highly detrimental to the environment. So it's going to reveal some kind of crazy stuff that's going on. Very cool. And uh, so what can people expect from the film? Well, it's a film that looks into pretty much all the kind of mainstream solutions that are being promoted by big green environmental groups. So solar, wind, hydro, biomass, recycling, electric cars, all that stuff. And it's going to expose a lot of misconceptions and a lot of deception that's going on because, you know, these things are being called... Things like zero emissions, you know, green, sustainable. And when you actually peel back the layers and look at the processes involved in making these things, it's quite the opposite. These things are causing massive emissions. Um, some of these things that are counted as zero emissions actually cause more emissions of carbon dioxide than does coal. So this is like a really big lie that's being promoted. And I think people need to know about this because if we're going to push for a sustainable future, we need to not let greenwashing take hold. Right. So are some of these examples something like the electric car, for example? Like I hear people kind of arguing that it's really bad for the environment to make the battery, but then I hear the other argument that it's better for the environment because it reduces emissions. So is that something you talk about in your film? Yeah, that's something we cover for sure. Um, one thing that people don't really realize, when you think about a car, you think a lot about the emissions that are coming out of the tailpipe. And in the film, we talk about the fact that actually most of the emissions um, that are produced by a car are actually produced during the manufacturing process. So that's going to be the same for an electric car as it is for a regular car. That's the cause of the majority of emissions from a car. And then when you go to having an electric car, yes, you've got the battery, you've got the pollution involved with that. And it's actually better for the environment to keep driving the car that you currently own than it is to buy a brand new electric car just because of the manufacturing process. Right. So shout out to my 2006 Tacoma (laughs) that I'm still driving because I've looked at getting an electric vehicle and they're so expensive. And then I know that I have to take on the carbon footprint of a brand new vehicle where I actually bought my truck used a long time ago. Um, It would be nicer, of course, for me to have a smaller one. (laughs) But but yeah, I I totally hear that. And then uh, we had someone on the show way back when who said that solar panels are even 
part of a, a problem from a zero waste perspective because we can't really recycle them. And if they get damaged or if they become obsolete because new technology comes in, then what are we supposed to do with all these solar panels? And then recently there's a um, an article, I think it was in Forbes maybe, that came out about um, all the land use. So like if you take a nuclear power plant, for example, it only needs a certain amount of space. But I think solar panels are like 700 times the amount of land needed to produce mm-hmm. the same power. Do you, do you talk about uh, solar panels too in your film? Yeah, we talk a lot about solar panels. So there's a lot involved in that. And yeah, habitat destruction is actually huge. And there's a prediction in the journal called Pelos 1 about how solar panels by 2050 are expected to be the number one cause of habitat destruction. Um, is the installation of, I think, solar panels and wind were included in that study. That's really surprising. It's not it really, is, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's counting that people are still going to be doing, um, you know, oil and gas stuff. There's still going to be development. It, like, surpasses all these things. Mm-hmm. So when you came on the show before, we talked about your inspiration, and I, I believe it was that you went, you went diving and you were seeing all these old pictures of these giant fish that kind of don't exist anymore because we're overfishing them. Um, that's right, right? About your, your yeah, inspiration right. for the first film. Yeah, so that's really inspiring. And then what is your, um, your inspiration for the second film? Yeah, so it's kind of a cool story. So when I was making the film Sea of Life, this was kind of just always a question that I was curious about. And I would ask every person who I was interviewing, you know, do you think like solar and wind and all this stuff is going to solve our problems? Is this really a good thing? And nobody seemed to know too much about that or what the negative consequences might be. But um, the last person who I interviewed for this film is a guy called Derek Jensen. And when I asked him that question, he told me all sorts of crazy stuff about it. He told me there's islands off the coast of China that are being mined out of existence to produce high-quality silica for solar panels and that these things cause massive emissions and all this stuff. And he said, actually, he's writing a new book at the time about all of this called Bright Green Lies. So basically, as soon as I heard that, you know, it kind of like lit up a light bulb inside me. And I was like, this is what my next film has got to be about, um, because this is such an important thing for people to understand. And it's something that really nobody's talking about. Is there a particular moment from the making of this film that stands out to you most? Yeah, for sure. So one of the cool things that I got to do while I was making this film is interview Paul Watson on a Sea Shepherd boat. And during that interview, he told me a story about when he was in Toronto at a meeting about pollution in the Don River. And he was at this meeting, and there were people from industry there, there were environmentalists there, and everybody was trying to figure out, how are we going to solve this problem? And Paul said, do we know what's causing this problem? Do we know what factories are causing the pollution? And they said, yeah. And he was like, well, you know, turn off the taps, just stop the pollution. And everyone looked at him like he had said something blasphemous and crazy. And he said to me, they wanted a solution without actually having a solution. And I think that's something that kind of sums up this entire film really nicely. It's like a film all about these ways that people are trying to finagle their way around things and get a solution, but still keep everything the same. When in a lot of ways, it's pretty simple and obvious what we need to do to solve these problems. Right? So I find the same thing in the zero waste world. I don't know if you remember Starbucks came out with this thing and it was like, let's make a better cup. And their whole mind frame was about making a better garbage cup or a better throwaway cup. And I just kept thinking like the answer is right there. Just use a regular cup and wash it. You know, it's like, why do you have to reinvent 
garbage and all these things if, if, if the answer is just so simple, right? So it's different, but I totally understand what you mean. And Paul Watson, he, uh, um, he's, yeah, the captain of Sea Shepherd. Like he, own, he does a whole organization and they have multiple ships now, right? Do you know how many they have? I forget. I don't know how many. I think it might be around seven or 10, something like that. Yeah, he's a he's a really cool one to follow. He's doing some really amazing things that personally I think our navies should be kind of engaged in as well. I don't see why not, but Yeah, that'd be awesome. Wouldn't it? I think it would be super awesome. So you you mentioned in your email that you sent to me something about displacement paradox. So I don't know what that is. What is displacement paradox? Cool. So displacement paradox is a really neat concept that we kind of discovered in the film. So it was created by a guy named Richard York at the University of Oregon, and he kind of came up with this word to kind of summarize something that he was noticing. So the sort of premise that goes behind a lot of these things like renewable energy is this idea that there's a baseline demand for energy, and that if we add more energy to the grid from things like solar or wind, then it will displace fossil fuels, and we can stop using fossil fuels, replace that with things like solar and wind. Mm -hmm. And the reality is when you look at a graph that goes back through the history of, you know, industrial energy for the past, say, 200 years, um, what you find is that as new energy sources are added to the grid, they're not displacing other energy sources. What happens is just the amount of energy that our society consumes increases. So that's kind of the idea behind the displacement paradox, right? So it started out, people were just using burning wood. And Mm -hmm. then when we added coal, People didn't burn less wood, they just also used coal and found new uses for energy. And so that's what Richard York found is happening with things like solar and wind, that as they're being added to the grid, they're not actually decreasing the amount of fossil fuel being used. It's just adding to the amount of energy at our disposal. Right? That's kind of creepy to think about. You know, in 2005, I spent some time on the Nile in Uganda, and they were putting in a giant, giant electric dam and or hydro dam sorry and we were kayaking there and we were sort of saying oh no this is going to ruin the river it's going to ruin some of the best rapids in the world uh we don't know what areas it's going to flood you know it's going to stop the nutrient flows that are coming up and down the rivers and the people there were living in mud huts so there's this one side of looking at it like okay they're going to have access to power and that'll be really good for them. But I've never seen people more happier in my life and like pretty well fed and, and, you know, excited about life and really nice and kind and, and everything the way that they were. And like, it's mm-hmm. not like Canada where we need to heat our homes or die. Like right. Uganda's pretty warm, you know? So I feel like they were happy and doing well in this area that I was in. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know how the dam is going to, like, benefit their lives so much. Like, I'm sure it will benefit lives in different ways. I just – I don't know if it was, like, the best thing. Um, yeah. So I think about that a lot. Yeah, there's kind of this idea, certainly in this culture, that, like, our way is the only way of living and that, you know, we all need this high-energy lifestyle and that that's the best thing for everyone. But, you know – our society probably has, like, the greatest use of antidepressants. You know, I wouldn't say we're the happiest people in the world. Right. Um, yeah, so it, it hasn't necessarily been a good thing. And certainly not for the environment it's been a good thing because, you know, most energy is used to convert the natural world into products and power all this destruction. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's weird because we just look at this like it's the only way, but um, we've only been living like this for the past couple hundred years. It's 
really an anomaly in history for humans to, to live this high-energy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want people in Uganda to, like, be stuck in traffic for two hours a day and, like, driving to their, you know, their factory job and stuff when they're they're kind of happy as they are. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I can like speak for them at all or anything like that. I just, I just wonder if it is the best because I don't, I don't think our way of living really is the best, but it's good in, in, in many ways. Um, but with that comes more and more and more. You're right. And I read this article too, that like from the seventies, like until now, like pretty much everyone in America has, um, air conditioning, like access to air conditioning, Mm -hmm. where that wasn't a thing before. And then I've looked at our charts for Ontario Hydro, and they peak like so much in the summer. And I was so surprised because I I expected the hydro peaks, the most usage to be in the wintertime when Canadians are heating their homes, right? But that wasn't the case. It was was in the summer. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it was kind of sad because it is kind of nice to have AC, but you know, how much of it do we actually need? And it does take a lot of power to run them, right? So Yeah, and we're heating these massive houses. Yeah, so it's nice to see the the small housing kind of trend catching on a little bit, I think, Mm -hmm. because we don't need these, like, huge, huge spaces if we're going to have to heat and cool them. Um, But going back to your film, so so what was the most surprising thing that you learned while while making this one? Gosh, there was a lot. Um, one thing is about an industry called biomass. Um, so biomass is not the same as biofuel. So that's mm-hmm. like where you grow up um, corn and vegetables and things like that and turn that into ethanol, basically. Biomass mm-hmm. is actually where you cut down forests and turn them into wood pellets and then burn them to create electricity. And one thing that's happening on a kind of mass scale is that forests, in New England are being cut, turned into wood pellets, shipped across the Atlantic to Europe, where they're used in Germany and the UK and other parts of Europe. And the emissions from this are actually worse than a coal-fired power plant. Basically, what they're doing is they're oftentimes converting an old coal-fired power plant to biomass. The reason they're doing this is they're trying to meet their Paris Agreement, and what they're doing is they're counting energy from biomass as zero carbon emissions when it actually emits more carbon dioxide, about 50% more carbon dioxide than coal. But how, how can they say it's zero if it's, if it's emitting carbon? There's kind of two things. So there's a lot of fraudulent accounting going on. So part of it is that some of the emissions are coming from cutting the forest down, which disturbs the soil, and a lot of carbon is stored in soil. So the people in Europe say they don't want to count the carbon from that, because that's technically in the U.S., but the people in the U.S. aren't counting it either, and they're not counting the carbon from burning the forest, because um, the trees might grow back in 100 years. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you imagine any company that said, you know, we're not making money now, but we're going to count that we're profitable because we might make money in a hundred years. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's, that's completely fraudulent, but yeah. Yeah, it seems a little bit shady. I thought biomass was, excuse my ignorance, by the way, but I thought it was when you take like garbage and, and burn like compost and stuff, no? They might do that a little bit too, but the majority of it um, with this type of biomass is just clear-cutting forests. It's forests, yeah. And clear-cutting is horrible. So I I lived in BC for a long time, and I've said this on a show before, that the mountains look like someone took buzz clippers that you'd mm-hmm. cut somebody's hair with and just like 
went and shaved patches of the mountains. It's it's pretty sad to see. And they're still doing uh, old growth logging there, which is also sad. Yeah, uh, yeah, I saw some of that while I was out there. Oh, is it is BC going to be part of your film? It is a little bit, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I miss it out there. So what do you hope that the film will accomplish? Are you hoping that people make better decisions, that governments act, um, that they implement better strategies? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hoping it'll really shift the way people look at, you know, how we're going to address these problems facing the natural world, because there's been so much emphasis on just these technological fixes, and don't worry, scientists are going to come up with these new energy sources, and we can keep doing everything the same, and it's all going to solve our problems. And, you know, realizing the reality of that, I hope that people are going to take these issues a lot more seriously and look at the really more simple answers of what needs to be done, you know, stopping the destruction, shutting it off in a lot of cases is the, you know, easiest, most effective thing to do. Do you mean like, what do you mean by shutting off? Um, Fossil fuel burning, for example, you know, rather than thinking we just need to find something new to use instead of fossil fuels, I think we need to start questioning, you know, do we really need all this energy? Do we really need to be producing all these consumer products that no one really needs? You know, all these kind of, you know, most of what energy is used for, it's used for the military, it's used for producing cheap consumer goods, it's used for entertainment, transportation, a lot of non-essential luxuries that are destroying the planet in one way or another. Right, because I keep saying, like, we can't just turn off our fossil fuels right away because Canadians would just freeze to death. Like, it's minus 30 where I live in the wintertime sometimes, so that's a big challenge, right? And like I was saying about Uganda, for example, like, they don't have to worry about the energy to heat their homes because it's warm, but what do we do for northern nations? Like, how how are we supposed to heat our homes without fossil fuels? Right. Um, I don't know an answer to that question, honestly, because... The thing is, like, most of the fossil fuel use is not to heat our homes. So I think a very obvious first step is just to cut off all the unnecessary fossil fuel use, right? And, I mean, in the meantime, we probably shouldn't be continuing to build all these houses in northern places where we, um, you know, have to heat them in order to live here. But at the same time, I mean, I'm living in a house that has got a lot of rooms in it, and it could probably fit, like, five other families in here. Um, like most of us, you know, we live this kind of extravagant lifestyle that is bigger than, you know, it needs to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there's some really simple things we could do to start with. And what's going to be sustainable in the long run, um, for little things like heating our houses in Canada. I mean, some of the people who I visited in New Hampshire, they've got pretty small houses and they just heat them with wood. And on a scale like that, it's not like they're deforesting entire huge areas to heat their little houses. It's just, it's kind of more in balance with what's going to actually grow back, you know? Yeah, it's a managed forest. So I grew up on 50 acres and we had a managed forest and we've we've been on the same land pretty much since 1842 in the same area. And everything is very well taken care of and sustainable and the forests are very, very healthy. And I don't heat my home with wood, but my dad still does. So the house I grew up in and yeah, the forest is super healthy. Like we'd never ever clear cut. And my, I remember my dad looking at whenever you'd see anything about a clear cut and just shaking his head and, you know, saying, you don't have to do it this way. Like you can go in and take certain trees and it's very okay. And, and you don't have to kill the whole forest, you know? So 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's also uh, there's this thing where it like runs underground, so geothermal heating. And I thought geothermal heating was just where you go really deep in the ground, but apparently you can just go like four feet deep uh, and and do like a shallow pipe that kind of goes around enough space that it can heat your home that way too. And then we talked to someone too who has a like just a straw bale house or something, so they like use straw as insulation, and I think they put electric heating in the floor. Um, so there's, there's a few options, but yeah, I, I, I worry about our country <laughs> in terms of like, how can we specifically get away from fossil fuels? Right. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to speak to you and, and find out that, you know, putting solar panels up everywhere might not be the answer. And, and what we say in the zero waste world is just stop, stop consuming things that you don't need. Right. And I, I think that that's kind of what you're saying as well, but just in terms of energy, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so so what are some examples of like extravagant energy that we don't need to be using? I think you kind of mentioned some of them before, like, you know, recreation, entertainment, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is being used by industry. So, you know, to deforest massive areas, to go out and scoop fish out of the ocean and all these kind of things, and then powering factories that are producing all these consumer goods, right? A lot of emissions comes from that, Um, you know, global shipping of all these products. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the bunker fuel. That's crazy. That That is, like, my big thing, you know. Why are we buying all this cheap stuff from other countries and shipping it literally halfway across the world in these ships that burn dirty, dirty bunker fuel? That's, like, really bad for the environment. And we should just be, like, making them here, I think, in Canada. Like, we, we should be reviving our industries, I think, and creating an environment for entrepreneurs to flourish so that we don't have to – bring everything so far, you know, like clothing and and things that we need. Yeah, I know the the shipping is really crazy. Like we yeah. oftentimes are taking things, you know, from one part of the world, shipping it to China, manufacturing it into something, shipping it over here, and it's just like it's traveled the whole world before it gets to you, um, which is really unnecessary. And I, even, you know, yeah. I look at where my food comes from, and I'm like, a lot of it comes from California. And it's like you're, you're taking this thing – which most of it is water and like a vegetable or something and shipping it all this way when we could be growing it here. Just a lot of stuff doesn't make any sense, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's a big, if we just switch to more local economies, it would be better for people because you're kind of making your own money and doing your own businesses and stuff like that. But it's really hard to compete. So if I start growing tomatoes, how am I going to compete with the grocery store tomatoes that are bought in massive bulk with some huge Loblaws deal. <laughs> I say Loblaws because of the freezers <laughs> that they got. Um, but, you know, it's it's hard for little guys to get in and, and compete against the, the big ones who have cheaper prices. So it'll be a challenge. But, yeah, getting, getting rid of that thing where we send – a, a t-shirt or a piece of food all around the world before it gets to us. It's, it's crazy for the carbon footprint. And I think that would make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you were, you were at the Paris climate agreement, were you not? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, do you think Canada's doing a good job or? 
<laughs> I mean, they just bought up the pipeline, right? And they're pushing it through. And yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, everyone thought it was like this great thing. We got in this guy Trudeau. He's gonna, he cares about the environment and that's kind of the image that he's promoting, but he's, you know, still keeping the tar sands going and the biggest reserve of oil, second biggest reserve of oil in the world. And, you know, with plans to fully exploit that, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, if we burn the, the, carbon that's in the tar sands we put ourselves over the edge for climate change so is canada doing enough it's doing completely the opposite of what it should be doing i mean it's nuts it's like they're ignoring the issue of climate change entirely while claiming that they care about it but their actions speak otherwise yeah and i worry about the the carbon tax because i think it hurts lower income families and the working class because yeah. they're the ones who have to get in these like big trucks and drive to their construction jobs or their whatever jobs and and they're the ones who are going to pay more but then when you get people who are very wealthy like people in the government and whatnot they are they they make enough money that uh, you know a few dollars here and there isn't going to hurt them the way that it would a lower income family so i kind of wish some of our politicians were doing like walking the walk <laughs> you know maybe flying less or or something i don't know but but okay so that just reminds me of the electric car though so should we be buying electric cars or no what do you think uh no <laughs> really i think we need to be dismantling car culture as a whole oh right? my gosh but our our city planning is going nuts like in my city of belleville there are so many subdivisions going in that are they just promote car culture you need basically two cars if you're a family because if you don't have two cars you know someone leaves you're like stuck in the middle of nowhere like there's no stores you can walk to yeah the grocery store you have to drive like it's crazy um i think we're developing the wrong way yeah and it was all kind of designed like that like back uh, i don't even know how long ago but somebody uh who i was interviewing in the film said you know a very long time ago when car culture was kind of just coming in um, the car companies and the oil companies bought up the public transportation sector um, in California and to, just to dismantle the busing so that people had to buy cars. And they changed the laws so that businesses and schools and places of residence had to be spaced far apart from each other. So there was some kind of deliberate effort actually went into organizing society such that car culture was necessary. Okay, so that really sucks. But it gives me hope that maybe we can, like, redesign them then. Like, if somebody designed them then to do that, maybe there's hope for us to redesign our cities and and do responsible development so that we can design things that are closer together, right? Because I would, I would love to live where I could just walk everywhere. And in Victoria, I could. I, I didn't have a car for my first couple of years in university, so I just walked, skateboarded, biked everywhere and took the bus because we had free um, student cards to get on the bus. And it was it was fantastic. It was awesome. But by the time it came around for me to buy a house, houses that used to cost $300,000 were like over a million at that point, just because the, the cost of housing went up so much in BC. And yeah. so that's a huge problem too, right? Like we can't hardly afford to live in places where we can walk around to the grocery store and to the cafe and to work, right? Those were like getting priced out of those areas um, mm -hmm. in a lot of cities like around the world. So that's that's an unfortunate issue too that makes it more difficult. So yeah, it's tough to think about, but 
I have hope that we can we can do it somehow, but <laughs> sometimes it's hard to have hope <laughs> when we look around. Uh, so the documentary, it's still in post-production, so you're yeah. still working on it. And how can people support it if, uh, if they want to be involved or watch it? Yeah, so I've got a campaign on Indiegogo, which I just launched today. And the link is igg.me slash at slash bgl and so yeah if you go on there you can you know watch the trailer for the movie watch a little video where i'm talking about what this film is going to be all about and then there's lots of perks for people to choose from if they want to support it we really need to raise funds to get post-production done so that we can come out with this movie and it's basically like you know you can pre-order the film on there so you can opt for the perk that's a download of Bright Green Lies, and then you can watch the movie when it comes out and support the film in the process. Very cool. And if we're on Indiegogo, can we just search your name or like Bright Green Lies or something, or do we have yeah. to type in that specific? No, you can you can search Bright Green Lies or Julia Barnes. Yeah. I guess one last thing before I let you go. Uh, did you see the new the new um, Rob Stewart movie? You I must... did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, very, very cool because he you featured him in your first movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I saw that Lush actually had like some sort of soap um, promotion. I don't know if you saw that too. Yeah, the shark fin soap. Yeah, and it, it all went to supporting the issue. And I guess Canada now is banning uh, shark finning. Right. That's pretty awesome. Right? So yeah. good. So people have been pushing for that for a long time. So it's really cool to see it finally happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. So these films are very, very important. And, you know, sometimes I talk to people and I ask them, why are you sustainable? Like, why do you care about the environment? Because <laughs> we know that a lot of people don't. And sometimes people will say, well, I saw a documentary or, you know, I watched these videos way back or the, the show, you know, this nature show. And so films are very, very powerful. So mm-hmm, for sure, I look forward to seeing this one. So thank you very much for coming on the show again. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. That's Julia Barnes. Her new film, Bright Green Lies, will be coming out spring 2020, but should be available this fall at some, uh, some video festivals around. So thank you, Julia. Thank you. If you like our show and want to help save the world from all this trash we're consuming, please consider donating to the Zero Waste Countdown. You can become a patron on Podbean, you can find me on Patreon, or you can donate right on the website, zerowastecountdown.com. And if you're interested in seeing a photo of our guests, you can check us out on Instagram. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you want to email me, it's laura at zerowastecountdown.com. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks to all our listeners in America, Canada, Australia, Germany, the UK, and wherever else you may be tuning in from. Together, we're going to change the world. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. (laughs) 